0: Hey everybody, hope you're all hanging in there, and uh, I know I said I was taking the month of March off, and uh, things kind of just went to shit, so I wanted to give you all, you know, something to help with the, this time, this pandemic that we're in, and uh, for patrons this is nothing new, this was our first bonus episode, but uh, I thought it would be fun to post this. This is uh, a, a uh, bonus episode, the first Patreon bonus episode. It was a series that we were going to call "Their Strange Skies," and it was going to be about sightings in other countries. You know, we've kind of moved on from that. We do cover sightings from a bunch of different countries, but uh, the first one was on the Falcon Lake incident. I had my buddies. Brian and Angelo from Double Density on and you know we laughed a lot we had a good time and uh, I just kind of want to share it with you all. I'm working on new episodes, I'm working on new Patreon content, uh, there's just a meltdown coming out soon Um, I'm doing what I can to help everyone get through this right now and um uh, also we're going to be suspending Patreon payments for uh April and um just going to just going to help everybody get through as best they can at least do my part to do that so uh i really hope you enjoy this episode and there's some new stuff on the way What's up, UFOnauts? Welcome to the inaugural edition of Their Strange Skies, the Patreon bonus episode where we're going to be looking at UFO events in other countries, and we're going to Canada today to talk about the Falcon Lake incident, and I am not alone for it. Today with me, I have Brian and Angelo from Double Density. How's it going, guys?
1: Hello. (laughs) I was waiting for Angelo to start. Okay. Hey, everyone. Hello, Internet.
0: That was the softest hello I have ever heard, ever.
1: (laughs) Would you like to retake that, Angelo? Sure. I I was expecting you to start, that's why, so. Okay, hit me with it. Hey, Rob, how you doing? There we go. Hey, Rob, what's up?
0: What's up, guys? How's it going?
1: You know, just continuing our thread of friendship here on the internet together.
0: Oh yeah, uh, it is uh, it, it is the greatest friendship that, that one could ever ask for, and uh, it just keeps on giving. Um, so um, so tell the listeners about Double Density, what do you guys do on your podcast, a- and tell people where they can find it.
1: So I guess what we'll do is I'll let Angela describe the podcast, and then I'll jump in with the sales pitch. Good, yeah, That sounds like a good idea.
2: Yes. Uh, we... Basically split it 50-50 between technology and the paranormal because uh, both Brian and I really like those two things. And we couldn't decide what kind of podcast to start, whether it be technology
1: or paranormal. So we just smashed the two together and we got Double Density. And you can find us over uh, at DoubleDensity.net, facebook.com slash Podcast. Over on Instagram, it's the same thing. And then on Twitter, where we're most active, it's double underscore density. You can harass us all day long. You can ask Angela all the tech questions you want. You can send me all of your weird UFO pictures.
0: Send them spam. They love it. You know? Oh Yes,
1: please. That oh, are, yeah. are people who interrupt our conversations on Twitter uh, with just nonsense. That I, that I enjoy very much, too.
0: Uh, we oh, usually yeah. do those on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially if you, uh, if you think that uh, somebody's selling disinformation, please let us know.
1: <laughs> oh, that's a really good point, actually. Yeah, who knows who it is now?
0: Yeah, right. It's it's tough. It's 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 tough to figure that out. I mean, but hey, someone's always going to interject and uh, let you know, regardless. That's disinformation, even though they don't know. But...
1: <laughs> I think that's the nature of the internet in general, too. Just everyone thinks they know better than you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, By the way, no
1: one all knows the MJ... better than Tom DeLonge. So yeah. there we go. <laughs> also, Rob. Before I forget, all of those MJ12 documents are super real. How dare you? <laughs>
0: Um, I'm going with the, um, the FBI's, uh, assessment that they are bogus. Oh, I'm going to just, you know, write it out on, on a piece of paper. Uh, there's going to be nothing else. I didn't on the realize paper this was the hot word takes bogus. tonight. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, <laughs> That's I'm, I'm just there of to throw takes. you off. You're such a disinformation agent. And, um, you know, this is uh this is a continuation from the UFO book club where we're all disinformation agents, and, which everyone uh, should go listen know, to. I'm fine with that what's that
1: which everyone should go listen to obviously
0: oh yeah uh, it's the best uh near two hours that uh, you could ever spend <laughs> and uh put voices in your ears it's it's really that great when did you guys first come across the falcon lake incident because i mean it is one of canada's best ufo incidents and also one of the best ufo incidents investigated around the world when did it come onto your radar
1: I'll go first, Brian. Well, I think my uh, answer will be the same as yours, so I'm going to let you take it for both of us.
2: You know what? I'm actually going to think it's not, because I only came across this last year in 2017. What? It celebrated its, yeah, it celebrated its 50th anniversary, and that's when I came across it. I had never, if I had heard of it, I had must have forgotten, because somebody brought it up in a forum I was in, and I thought, oh, this is a weird case, and they were trying to debunk it, and some people were for it, some were people were against it. And I had never seen this, or if I had, I think I probably saw the Unsolved Mysteries episode with it, having done research for it now. I kind of remember the Unsolved Mysteries thing, but barely, right? Mm. And I had been totally off my my radar for for years and years, and then I guess I kind of rediscovered it.
1: Also, I'm getting old, so I forget things. (laughs) Yeah, I um something that you mentioned was the first time i'd ever heard of it which was the unsolved mysteries episode and what i love about those older episodes is and i think we've talked about this at length is the idea um of them bringing the actual like witnesses to events in to sort of reenact their own lives which i think is super fascinating
0: yeah that that's that's always been like one of the most interesting things because it's like when you're doing that, does it trigger anything that you may have forgotten or like, a, how does that, does it feel weird that you're like reenacting the time that you got hit in the chest with like hot air <laughs> from a UFO? Yeah. Like, <laughs> And so
2: he
1: was, it was uh, Stefan Mikulak
2: in that reenactment?
1: Mm. Yeah, if you notice, like, the horrible, horrible UFO CGI, and then there's, like, it's him in some of the shots, like, wandering around the forest. Yeah, because I was wondering why in 1967 he looked older than he looked now. <laughs> oh, are you trying to, oh, <laughs> yeah, right. you don't believe
2: in the magic of television? All right, well. <laughs> uh, he looked, I was like, wow, in 67 he looked pretty old, and I guess that explains it, that it was actually him doing it. He just, it just didn't click with me. Also, the the quality of the video on youtube for that it's pretty terrible because what it's from the 90s i guess or late 80s yeah it's yeah. one of the
1: first seasons i think it's like 91 or 92 i think
2: yep oh no Unsolved mysteries was on in the mid 80s because i remember talking about it when well it was i mean in
0: like it school. wasn't in the uh the full robert stack role until i think like what 87 88 maybe yeah
1: and i think this was like a third or fourth season um, okay so like yeah
0: late 80s early 90s yeah for sure you're yeah. right
1: well, either way, that's when I had first seen it. And uh, going back to Rob was saying, it's like, it's like when you watch these and these reenactments happen with the actual witnesses, it's like the weird UFO equivalent of like, show me on the doll where the man touched you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it really is. It, 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 except, yeah.
2: <laughs> and, except he can just point to his stomach.
0: Right. And I'm kind of wondering, like, where did they film it now? Did they actually film it at the site? Which I don't believe they did. But like, where, where exactly was this? <laughs>
1: that is such a great question because yeah like why would you go to the manitoba just to film this like six minute segment unless he lives there right so i guess they like they decamped and like interviewed him right and his son who is of like unknown age and we'll get to that later though uh but like it's just like this weird thing like i don't know like historically and maybe someone who has uh in intimate knowledge i guess of like the goings and comings of unsolved mysteries would be able to answer that question
0: yeah right i don't know maybe maybe they will become a patreon member and, and they'll find out. Like, that's the dream Ooh. right now. <laughs> Rob,
1: I want to flip the script on you and ask you a question, which is, like, you in turn, like, what is when is the first time that you heard about this case?
0: It was on Soft Mysteries. I remember it because it's, like, the when you see the burns on him, it's hard to forget that. Because it's these burns that are in a grid pattern right on his abdomen, and they just keep coming back and disappearing and coming back. That's something we'll get into, those marks are something that you don't forget easily, and for many years, I like, I know for the longest time, I wouldn't remember his name or Falcon Lake or anything like that, but those marks I distinctly remember from my childhood.
2: You know what's funny is I get him confused with the uh, pancake guy.
0: Oh, uh, <laughs> Joe Simon. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it's it
2: has to do with the fact that it looks like a waffle iron at him in the yeah, chest.
0: Right? But... Right? You know, like was somebody else cooking pancakes, you know, cuz this is like oh. this is like 6 years later, so <laughs> we're not totally they out of the ballpark. Some, and like some vaguely Italian looking aliens. Yeah, maybe. You know, I mean, we we don't get to see the aliens, but they we do get to hear them speak. So, um All right, let's. Are
1: we threading? Are we threading this together before I forget? Because it sounds like we're coming up with an idea of a consistent narrative here, where aliens land, um, they're throwing their cooking apparatuses and you know (laughs) things out, and it's just suddenly like this whole idea of like really pissed off alien chefs, you know, interacting with human beings,
0: you know, like. I'm going to open myself up to that possibility right now, because like <laughs> your life is always going to be so much better. If you can open yourself up to the possibility that alien chefs sometimes get angry <laughs> and where do they take their anger? Earth. That's the only Earth, place. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the only place that you can, if
2: after all this alien abductions were just people being forced into taste testing, crappy alien food, oh, uh, then
0: it would be all worth it. I think. Right. Right. It- and you know what? It's going to taste like crap to us, guaranteed. That's just that's just how it's going to work. So,
1: yeah, I don't eat cat food. So,
0: yeah, like, um, what what do the grays eat? You know, that's, ooh,
1: that's a great question. Yeah, I'm sure it's like paste
2: of some kind. Yeah, paste that they just shove into that little slit they call a mouth. Hmm.
0: <laughs> wow, is it just you, like you know, throw some shade right there? <laughs> that little hey, look. <laughs> that little slit they call Are a you, mouth. You,
1: your species is shaming right now, Angela. I think.
2: Well, I think those greys do. gave me nightmares when I was a kid because of that stupid
1: uh, unsolved mysteries episode where you saw the cover of Communion. Right. Okay. Well, I guess that's defensible a little bit. I think. I mean, I, I believe that they're moisture based and therefore like just suck the food out of like whatever like environment they're in. Well, the movie signs would beg to differ, by. Them. <laughs>
0: And we know Let's, how how accurate uh, M Night Shyamalan is when it comes to researching. You know his <laughs> movies, and I mean the guy the guy can't even write a great plot half the time. But we'll totally trust him. Yeah, right I'm there. with you
1: on Rob. It's just ugh, I don't even want to talk about Signs because of how angry I got. And I remember being like 12 or 13 when it came out, and even seeing the like the plot holes as like a teenager, I knew it was a horrible, shitty movie.
0: Oh yeah. The best part is, you know, seeing those seeing those videos, like the way that they actually did the the videos for. um, Oh
1: yeah, the home movie. Yeah, home movie stuff. They go to the one in Brazil. Yeah, yeah, and that's the the only good part of that movie. Only good part. Yeah, and they had like two more hours to wrap around that. Yeah, Brian. Brian and I have mentioned this before, but uh, Brian
2: turned me on to VHS Two, which has probably the best Alien invasion scene of all time it's like a 20 or 30 minute clip i think right brian
1: yeah and it's mostly shot in a gopro and it's this family um and the parents leave for the weekend and it's all the kids having sleepover and like this light appears and it's it's actually done in such a way that it's it's very very frightening and in such a way that like a lot of like found footage films aren't so i thought it was really really masterfully done
0: so uh, so now i'm gonna have to go watch that and have nightmares for weeks yes thank you i appreciate that
1: perfect appreciate
2: although if, if yeah and if you you're wondering if anything bad happens to the dog um, it does damn it uh,
0: well thank you thank <laughs> you for ruining whatever weekend I'm going to have because now I have to go watch this but uh, that's okay that's okay so um
1: you've <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, sort of gone off track here really quickly yeah
0: let's get into the to the incident here and and just run through what happened and the investigation because this really is one of the best investigated ufo cases i think ever i would say the only other equivalent that i can think of at the moment is travis waltons i mean it's still technically being investigated today so getting into it the falcon lake incident occurred on may 20th 1967 near Falcon Lake, Manitoba, which is part of the Whiteshell Provincial Park at the uh, southern end of the province. Allegedly, there's a lot of mineral deposits there. And they got numerous mines all over the place and just amateur miners just going to town, mining silver. And one of these people is a man named Stefan Mikolak, who is a Polish immigrant and an industrial mechanic. He came over after World War Two, moved to the area, and just did his amateur geologist trap all over the place, I guess. <laughs> like, I don't understand, like, amateur geologists. The, the way that they kind of explained it, it was like, if you could find quartz veins, they typically lead to silver deposits. So it was like... Well, okay, I'm not a geologist, I, I, I don't know, but like, the the weird thing is, is like, uh, I was watching last week tonight, and like, one of the, um, I forget who the heck it is in, in the United States, um, uh, he's one of the secretaries or something like that, he keeps calling himself a geologist, and he's not, he just got a geology degree, but he never did anything <laughs> with it. <laughs>
1: The interesting thing to me about being an amateur geologist, right, in this context of the Stephen Micallef story, is like, what do you tell your wife and your kids? Like, I'm going to hunt for rocks for the weekend. See you, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, that wouldn't fly in my house. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you recently tried to ask your wife this?
2: No, the only thing I ask is if uh, I can have some time to do a podcast in the middle of the week to talk about, about rocks.
0: So exactly. So that. the this podcast is your amateur geology right now.
2: Especially this week with all the recording we're doing, but yeah, uh, it was sixty-seven. He didn't have much to do. There was no internet. He couldn't just go online and have fun looking at rocks on the internet. He
1: had to go see them for real. <laughs> I mean, I like how it's like internet or no internet. It's like this—this this only exists in your mind.
0: I mean, sixties um, man.
1: Yeah, it's the, the the summer of love was occurring. You know, there could have been some fun to have there if he wanted to.
0: And yeah, but, uh, he's not going to have much fun, unfortunately, you know, and th- this could be, you know what? Cause, um, this, the summer of love, you know, uh, beyond that, it, only two years later that hippie love died. So this could have been the start here. This incident right here could have been the start.
1: So what you're saying is it starts in summer love and ends in a UFO Altamont.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. U- UFO okay. Altamont. I think that's
1: a good narrative structure.
0: Yep. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: So so, what happened to him as he was looking for these rocks, Rob?
0: Well, uh, this, this occurred at around midday on the 20th. He's, um, he had just finished having lunch, and he was going back at it. And uh, all of a sudden, he hears these geese that are just cackling like crazy in distress. And he looks up, and he sees what he first describes as two cigar-shaped objects with a bump on them. They begin to descend and almost change shape and, like, he gets a better view of it. He suddenly realizes that they are (sighs) disc-shaped, like like your typical flying saucer, really. There were two of them. One of them kind of hung back and ended up zipping off, but there was one that just landed on this rock about 160 feet away from him. It was changing colors, and he goes up to it. Gets within, um, I think they said about 60 feet from it, and he's just looking at it like in just amazement because, like, hey, here's this weird-looking thing, and it just landed on this rock like 160 feet away from you. It could have landed on any other rock, but it landed on that one near you. I mean, that would make me feel special. I'm just saying.
2: Would it make you feel special enough to approach this bizarre thing, though? That's, That's the thing that gets me, is I would never go near this, but that's me.
0: Well, for Stefan... He thought it was uh, American military technology or something like that. He gets closer to it, and he starts sketching out what this thing looks like. Description-wise, he claimed it was about 40 feet in diameter and about 10 feet thick, and it had a top dome on it that uh, went up an additional 3 feet. The craft made a kind of whirring sound. like He described it as a motor and also... The sound of like air being expelled. It also had a really bad smell. It smelled like sulfur. He gets closer and a a door on the side of the craft opens. And he hears two voices coming from inside this object. And the only thing that uh, he says is that one was higher pitched than the other. That's it. And he said that they
1: sounded like humans, but he didn't really say, like, and in all the research that I've done, and I think you too, it doesn't really say or specify a specific language, it just sounds human-like.
0: Right, yeah, exactly. And that's the thing, like, uh, there's details here that, in this case that are, like, missing to the point where, like, the, one of the sources that uh, we pulled from Heavily was this, uh, was this uh, it was like a three-part article from Flying Saucer Review by uh, Chris uh, Rakowski about this, and there are these like weird kind of details that don't seem to be explained very well, and that that is one of them. He doesn't seem to expound upon it all that much, but at the same time, Mikalak's thinking this has got to be some American technology or something like that, and he goes up to the door and says, <laughs> quote, <laughs> I love this. Okay, Yankee boys, having trouble? Come on out, and we'll see what we can do about it.
1: <laughs> like, how is that, like, your first instance of, like, I see this weird ship I've never dealt with before. Clearly it's Americans. I'm
0: going in. I don't know, man. It's like, it's I, I kind of have a feeling, like, maybe people think it's always the Americans when, like, weird stuff happens.
1: I would like to suggest something here, and it may not be a popular opinion, but you know when you retell a story and you want to make yourself sound tougher? I feel like maybe this is the case.
0: <laughs> maybe. Uh-huh, maybe. Maybe. Maybe because he um the before actually the door opened, he ended up touching the craft with his gloved hand. It was like really hot. It ended up melting part of the glove. So definitely he he didn't seem to learn from his lesson because he actually just he kinda poked his head in the hatchway a little bit. Of course he was wearing these uh goggles that looked like I think they were like welders goggles, but like
2: well he was a welder yeah. by trade actually yeah he was so he, uh, he
0: did have those with him that's true and like he used them because he didn't want to get rocks in his eyes when you know he was going for that silver man trying to get paid <laughs> here trying to so get those when his, you're an your anima- amateur geologist yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and he continues calling out in different languages and apparently he knew like five of them aside from English uh, Russian, German, Italian, French, and Ukrainian. Clearly, this—he's uh, a—he's a pretty sharp dude. He knows his stuff,
1: right? And I think that, like, going back just a sec to sort of like talking about the makeup of this guy, like he's definitely not. Like a bumpkin, right? Like he served as an officer in World War Two, he has some kind of idea of what kind of crafts are out there. He also is a man who speaks multiple languages. So he has um, a certain level of like intelligence to him that he can probably like be able to describe events accurately and with precision and remember, um, you know, various features and things, which I think adds to his character.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree with that, because uh, despite some of the, like, weird, not necessarily inconsistencies, but, like, some of the weirder aspects that we'll get to in the investigation, that it definitely doesn't detract from how he does seem to be a, a really good, reliable witness, considering his background. When he pokes his head inside, he, what he sees is these brightly lit instrument panels. And out of like some freak, freaking sci-fi movie, in like the middle of the room is there. There's this like huge beam, like when, <laughs> with unsolved mysteries in the way that they they showed it on there. Like it looked like your your typical like what you would see in some sci-fi movie, like
2: well, almost like the TARDIS. Yeah,
0: yeah, really, really similar. I, I would say. But he also noticed that there was a there was a cluster of lights that seemed to be flashing in a sequential pattern but he never ends up seeing anybody inside all he just heard was the voices so at that point he backs away from the craft and that hatchway ends up closing and he said that there was like these three panels that slid over it kind of like the way a camera shutters he's just looking at the side of the craft he describes it as being, like, seamless. You, you can't see any joints, It's the which is the typical description for a lot of close-encounter UFO sightings. They look to be made of, like, one solid piece of material. And this object ends up rotating. He sees right in front of him these, what he describes as exhaust ports, which is in, like, this grid pattern. Um, it was about 9 inches high, 6 inches wide, and... He said that the holes on it, they were round holes, were about three-sixteenths of an inch, which I found that kind of interesting that they would say three-sixteenths of an inch considering that the guy investigating this was Canadian, and I, I, I would figure he'd be going, like... Oh, no, it was pre-metric, though. Oh. Okay.
2: We got the metric system later.
0: Oh, really? You got Yeah. Yo, when did you guys adopt the metric system?
2: 70s or 80s?
0: Oh, see, we we tried that, and we're too damn stubborn, so...
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, and, and a lot okay, of... Okay, um, so it happened, a quick internet search, it happened in 1970.
3: Okay.
2: Okay, so a few years before, but even now, people, especially when you're talking about uh, anything to do with uh, construction or things like that, a lot of things are measured in inches and all that, and most people that I know, like, of an older generation, so way younger than this guy at, uh, at this point, because he was born... Uh, I think, like, in the the 20s, they still talk about inches. So, uh, no, totally totally okay in this case.
0: All right, well... uh,
2: Canadian Fact-Checking 101. Canadian
0: Fact-Checking 101 with Angelo. It's a new podcast coming soon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Congrats to you and your four listeners, Angelo. I hope that goes well for you. We're available on Stitcher, (laughs) Podbean, (laughs) as well as
2: Castro and Overcast, and, of course, iTunes very soothing very very soothing there actually i would expect it to be show.
0: like um y- you'd have to do it through your initial hosting platform but i would figure like it would be um apple podcasts and that's it you know
1: ooh that's a really good point yeah
2: a, yeah no i don't like the apple podcast player though so i'd have to i would rather pure form rss i'm all about
1: the open web what is my favorite podcast about pen's host on <laughs> they have their own network I don't know if we've discussed this, Robin, but because we're behind a paywall, I'm kind of okay. But Angelo uh, has alerted me to the fact that there is a podcast about pens out there that has hundreds of episodes. And people uh, pay them money in order to uh, put out content and then also fly to pen conventions.
0: Okay. That is really, really fascinating. Um, Well, the the
1: host of that, (laughs) the
2: the host of the pen show... uh, is also the, the 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 co-founder of Relay FM, so they have their own podcast network that for pens, not only for pens,
0: but he's, a, he's a pen they, aficionado. Is there an and affiliate he, paper podcast? Because I feel like Ooh. though they talk about
2: pens and paper as well oh, on that show, well, that... and they have tens of thousands of listeners. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Um. I'm I'm, and, I'm struggling. I, here. I don't. I'm struggling. I
2: and I I must confess. Uh, full disclosure. I'm a member of their their network in terms of the like, pen Club. You know, How people are a member of of PBS and stuff. I do give them money once a month. Although uh, I do not listen to the pen show.
1: Have they covered not- um, Spoon Man by Soundgarden as like Pen Man? <laughs> no, I don't. Like I said, I don't listen to that okay, fair particular enough. podcast. Fair enough. But, uh, I'll I'll also, I think it's, that very, it's very gauche to talk about another man's podcast while we're trying to record one uh, with a man that we very much like. It's it's yes. very so meta right wrong. now. And I very apologize.
2: No, and and Rob, you can probably cut this out. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but cut, I, I, the, I must say that the, the host out. of that podcast is very charming and a nice person with a cool British accent. <laughs> Who's given you pens. <laughs> He's never given me pens. But they I I do get discount on their merch if I decide to buy any, which I have not.
1: Ironically enough, do they have pens as merch? Obviously they must. Uh, he must. They must have They must have pen merch. I actually I don't know. Let's anyway, <laughs> so let's get back to the narrative. <laughs> FM I'm merch. I just so, need to share my pen rage with someone.
2: I mean like I, I'm checking, hold on. No, they don't. They have right now they have um uh, stickers and uh t shirts. And a button. That's it. That's it? No pen.
0: It's a crying shame. It's a crying shame. I'm just putting that out there. (laughs) After he's uh, looking at this exhaust port, all of a sudden, it just expels some hot gas at him. Uh, Immediately, his clothes catch on fire. It ends up causing this some kind of rash on his chest and then on his abdomen, he ends up with this really weird grid pattern burned into it, and he he's he's not doing so well he's in pain. he ends up tearing off his clothes and but like he's smart enough to watch the craft like take off well right what that gets he's... me
2: is that he the u f o expels hot gas that smells like sulfur, so it essentially farted on yeah,
0: him. oh yeah.
1: And he, as it takes off, he notes, like, which way it goes, which I think is just, like, the best thing of all time, is a, a craft farted on you and set your stuff on fire, and yet you're still dignified enough to sort of note its trajectory.
0: Well, I think, like, maybe he was trying to get the license plate on that thing so he could report it. So, to Rob, I need to ask
1: you at this point, right? Like, so the, the craft is taken off. Nowhere in here has it suggested that he's licked the UFO, right? I no. just want to get that clear.
0: No. Okay. The, he he okay. has not licked the UFO. He's touched it, but he has not licked it, and he's been farted on.
2: <laughs> that's a new one. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's right, folks. Sometimes those UFOs, they fart on you. And don't smell the farts. Oh, God, it's, it's just so bad. He notes that, it, and, like, he's, he's also looking... Like around at the area too, which is so strange. Like you're in severe pain, but you're like noticing everything around you. That's like, I I don't think in a situation I would be like that.
1: No, I definitely would. I know I would I'm like I in pain I, rolling around.
0: Yeah, like they're saying well, severe the pain. Is, yeah. and like yeah,
2: wh- why? But the, the thing is, for him, he he maybe he would, like for us, we would would like oh my god, we just saw a UFO and it farted on us and we touched it and we caught fire. But this guy's thinking, oh, I saw this weird American airplane, and I caught fire, and I better hurry up and figure things out. And he was in the military, right? So he kind of has maybe some more training in terms of how to deal with these types of stressful situations, which is why maybe he wasn't so freaked out. Or... Say somebody like me, who's
1: not an amateur geologist. His military training has taught him... uh, how to react when someone farts on you due to all the officers in close proximity, right? <laughs> so you have a history of learning how to deal with that. And here's Brian taking it down a notch. <laughs> I oh, mean, yeah, i, I kind
0: of. I'm just. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> you got to open yourself up to the possibilities, Angelo. There's just seriously, come I on, Angelo.
2: <laughs> I can't always be so serious. No, no, the serious skeptic over here.
0: Well, you are things. the serious skeptic. You know, you. I know. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being that person, but it's just. You also need to know, you're the one that suggested that it farted on him, so I just... <laughs> yes, I know.
2: I'm yes, I, I guess, I guess that's true.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, so Mikalak's just, like, rolling around, uh, like, his, he's torn his clothes off. He is dealing with, like, all of these, like, weird sensations on his body. He watches this UFO leave, right? Mm-hmm. And then he, he gets a moment, and he starts smelling the air.
0: Yeah, he can still smell the sulfur, but with it, it has this like, electrical smell with it. The weird thing is, is, like, when I think of that, I think of something that's terrestrial in some sort of way just because, like, the smells are so familiar. If you smell anything, it always smells like sulfur for whatever reason.
2: Yeah, and is there any... You, I mean, you would know this. In all the UFO encounters you've you've read about, have there been talks about smells and stuff like that I don't really remember too many things where they've talked about smells.
0: It's rare, but you, you see it from time to time in reports and like the
2: like with like with the Delphos ring, for example. Like this one, this kind of reminds me of that one yeah. for for some, one reason or another. But was there any smell associated with that one? I
0: can't remember. I, I don't think there was. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I do. I I think there was a sulfur smell. Okay. Yes, there was because it was egg shaped so maybe it was a rotten egg yeah man yeah. it could it could be the rotten egg but i think one of the things that was brought up was the fungus ring and how like oh, it yeah, gave oh, off yeah. that smell like that really bad smell so okay. yeah I, yeah i think there was a smell associated with that but like yeah most of the time not not a smell not like it's most of the time it's sound before it's smell which is kind of and even that a lot it's silent right exactly and nobody licks them, which is good. You know, it's it's good. <laughs> Are they following your advice? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, well, I mean, if you if you followed my advice, then you probably didn't follow my advice if you're listening to this because this is the uh, lick the UFO tier, so um, that you're oh. hearing the song. But <laughs> whoops, <laughs> that's okay. That's that that's fine. So yeah, he he also notices that there's a patch of moss. Around him that's caught fire. And it's... Um, I think it was in a ring of some kind. But he's trying to head back at this point. Because, yeah, he's in, like, really, really bad pain. And, like, he's trying to get his bearings. So he takes out his compass. And he's like... i He knows that he needs to head south. But the problem is, is that when he takes out his compass, it does the typical it's spinning uh, all around, which happens... Like the magnetic field gets disrupted and your compass is no longer reliable so that happens and he also starts to get really nauseous and he ends up vomiting he has these severe headaches uh, it takes him a while to actually get out of the woods but we get to the part where I'm dis- distrustful of the Mounties now <laughs>
1: The opening uh, uh, volley of a long war of dickery in between the RCMP and Stefan Mikulak is like a really good way of putting it, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's fairly accurate. Yeah, Mikulak, he, he walks out of the woods and he's approximately a mile from where he had entered. And there's an RCMP officer just driving down the road and he, he flags him down. The thing is, is like he drives right by him, but he turns around. <laughs> You know, Mikolak's just like he's still wandering. He's still he's he's trying to get back, and the all of a sudden the uh, RCMP officers comes up uh, behind him and you know asks him what he needs, and he explains to him that he had an encounter with a UFO and like he's in severe pain. Uh, Which one of you wants to read what the RCMP officer said to him? I'll let you guys. Angelo, (laughs)
1: which one? Which one of us has like the better Canadian accent to say this in?
0: i I think angelo's got it i think angelo i I think it would be great coming from angelo
1: what all right let's hear this from angelo okay what am i saying um what the officer says to yeah all
2: right sorry sorry but i have other duties to (laughs) perform
0: a guy is telling you he had an encounter with a ufo and he's in severe pain and you'd... Well, one, and then two, like, he has no clothing almost. Yeah, he, he's got, like, I, I think he's still got his pants on. He doesn't have a shirt on. Why would you not help this individual? Like, is this, a, is this a normal thing for the RCMP in Canada? And, like, is the construction of the RCMP in my head from due south just completely wrong? Am I, is, is, is my life shattered now? I need to know.
2: Well, they're, they're basically the, the Canadian version of the FBI with, with horses. With horses. Yeah, like way more horses
1: and cooler costumes.
0: Yeah, but they don't wear those costumes all the time, right?
1: No, sometimes. I can't picture them wearing the full costume, like when they're driving around looking for shirtless men.
0: <laughs> right. Like, why was the RCMP officer there? I really tend to wonder. That's a really yeah, that, good that question.
2: Was the, yeah, that was the thing that struck me odd. Is there's like, it's apparently very desolate over there. There's no one around. And this RCMP officer just happened to be
1: driving by. Right. Just. Here's my tinfoil hat idea. Uh, uh, Miklach was not the first.
0: Maybe. You know, that's, that's a possibility. Definitely.
1: It's a known area for uh, these kinds of things to happen. But then, in that case, he should have picked them up. So I guess my theory is wrong, and I apologize. Hmm. Or he knew that he might be contaminated with
2: weird uh, alien farts, and he didn't want him in his car. Yeah,
0: you know, that's... that's uh... He has
2: other duties to perform. Sorry. Or... <laughs> gotta get out of here.
0: Or, what if this was a man in black? kind of situation.
1: Ooh.
2: But don't we have the report from that RCMP officer?
0: I don't know if it's that specific RCMP officer. I know the RCMP investigated it, but I don't know if it was from that specific person.
2: It seemed like it was the one I saw, but uh, it's possible it wasn't. It's just that he talked about uh, seeing this man who was... Uh, He thought maybe he was inebriated, but when he got near him, he didn't smell of alcohol or anything. He was just, he had, he, apparently he described him as wearing a jacket with no shirt and had a burnt hat or something.
0: This poor guy. Like, and you would He sounds like a hipster. Yeah. Right? Like, this, this is a guy that rocks out to Neutral Milk Hotel every weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't know what the pre-equivalent to Neutral milk, Milk Hotel was back in the 60s, but. You know, it's there, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 the uh, the signs are there. You can't ignore them.
1: It's... So the RCMP officer is like, "Nah, guy, see you later." Takes off. So what happens to like after that?
0: He walks back to his motel. It takes him forever, but I think he he gets back by like four four in the afternoon. And the thing is, is like he feared to go inside of his room, and he and he he hung back. And he avoided people. Uh, because he thought that he was contaminated I like the weird thing is it's like what did you think you were contaminated with and like they never go into he never goes into detail about that but he actually tried to flag down some help but again nobody wanted to help like when you see a guy who's half burnt yeah uh, on the side of the road
1: I'm not sure you want to pick him well, up well you know like, but that's anti-Canadian yeah that is anti-Canadian
0: uh, it, it really is like this case is shattering uh, the view that I've I've had of Canadians my entire life. I mean,
2: well, it's fifty years ago though. Give us a chance.
1: Yeah, come on,
0: hey?
2: buddy. Eh?
1: <laughs> yeah. Seriously, come on. <laughs> so he gets the took funny away thing by the
2: is, cops. Is, is we don't we don't really talk like that here. Uh, At least in Quebec, we don't, Right. because we have a weird our accents are like a weird mix of English
1: and French. Right. So that's why we sound funny. <laughs> So the RCMP tells him to, like, buzz off. These locals don't even bother looking at him. So, like, what does he do?
0: He goes into this coffee shop, yeah, and asks for a doctor. And they tell him that the closest one is in, um, I believe, Ontario. And that's, like, 45 miles away. And he's like, F that. I'm not going that way. (laughs) He sees himself as a, like, just, like, a danger to everybody. So he's like... Well, um I'm going to head back to Winnipeg. Where uh, Oh,
1: so let's let's go from a non-populated yeah, area to a to
0: heavily a populated, populated area. area.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, this being a Canadian sighting, uh Rob, I don't know if you're going to get this one, but Angela, this reminds me of an episode of The Littlest Hobo. <laughs> It was this Canadian TV show in the 80s where this dog... It was kind of like The Incredible Hulk, but instead of The Hulk, it's a dog helping people out every episode, and he just wanders the country helping people. So it kind of sounds like this. Like, he got contaminated. He has to move to the next city and, like, sort of, like, help himself or other people out. I used to love The Littlest Hobo as
2: a kid. Uh, I would highly encourage anybody listening to this to look it up on YouTube, because
1: I'm sure every single episode's on there somehow. <laughs> but The Littlest Hobo was also a dick, too, because at the end of every episode, what? like... No. Yes, because at the end of every episode, like, like... Because it literally is the TV show version of the Incredible Hulk. He leaves whoever he helps. He never stays with the family. Like and all these kids, <laughs> yeah, whine and he complain. Says sorry, but I have other duties to perform. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that's just. It's neither here nor there. What I'm saying is that, like, I think we're proving a pattern of Canadian dickness here. Yep.
0: <laughs> it's like a subtle dickness, you know. It's not. Yeah. yeah look.
2: Uh, also, Rob, I gotta go. I have other duties to perform. <laughs> sorry.
0: <laughs> Is this uh, is this what you uh, normally say to yourselves in Canada? You just you have d- other duties to perform? duties perform. Yeah, yeah of course. Mid right. mid podcast. Yes, that's what we do. You know, so you know, decides. selling son of a bitch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so the dude literally is like, I can't contaminate this one part of the world. Let me go back to this other part of the world that I theoretically like more because that's where my family is. Right. And let me just like touch people there.
0: Yeah, I don't understand the logic, but this guy has to go somewhere, obviously. Well, I guess also
1: maybe he knows people will pick him up in Winnipeg, whereas like everyone's been real like a real big jerk to him in the area so
0: <laughs> yeah, so yeah, he goes back to his hotel room because he he'd been staying in a hotel not far from uh this this uh quartz vein that he was going to that he was leaving his family to go mine every weekend or whatever. yeah, he stays in his hotel room until about uh almost nine, and you know figuratively. He, he gets a bus ticket a guy who's afraid of contaminating people he's gonna contaminate a lot of people in a small confined space he phones his wife to tell her that he'd been in an accident he didn't exactly describe it completely to her and uh, that he would need to be picked up from the bus station he arrives in Winnipeg at 10 15 in the evening and uh, one of the, uh, the, the points that is giving us uh, it, it's hard to kind of dissect here but he's taken by his son immediately to a nearby hospital
2: which cannot be because his son
0: is was a little young yeah he was 10 years old Uh, so (laughs) like how close is this hospital to the bus station and how did he get there like was his 10 year old son driving him
1: it was the 60s Uh,
0: the stuff like that happened in canada Like Uh, stuff like that
1: happens in rural Canada. I've, I have friends who have stories of like learning to drive at like a supremely young age. So maybe like his wife who like, who knows what she's thinking about. She gets this phone call and her husband's like, I was out hunting rocks and suddenly like I'm all kinds of screwed up. Uh, So she sends her like son as a human shield, I guess as like a first, (laughs) like first responder. I just think it's
2: odd. I think there's, there's must, there's gotta be like a mistake there somehow, some sort of thing not lost in, uh, the passing down of what happened because I know uh, having watched the Unsolved Mysteries episode, his son mentions in that that he was ten years old because he was born in the in fifty seven I think so uh, somebody somebody else must have driven to the hospital, I'm assuming.
0: Yeah, either Rakowski had it wrong in the uh, report, or yeah, you, either
1: or you just you're talking about country living. Uh, yeah, yeah, either, well, and maybe. your ten-year-old
0: son strap some blocks to his feet. Yeah, press the pedals. at <laughs> Yeah, <those>. exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, you got to do what you got to do uh, up in. Uh, well, but, but it's also Winnipeg. I mean, come on.
2: Yeah, it's not a <laughs> That's small true. town. That's
0: true. I mean, how how big is Winnipeg? Like, well, it's the murder capital of Canada. Oh, is it? Uh, that's what I last I heard. Oh, I think it was. That's terrible.
1: In the one Canadian newspaper that we all read here up here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, it's, not, it's not that's... a small town, Rob. And even in the '60s, like it, it was probably like uh, you know in the five, if not six digits, right? So it, it's not like a population of like fifty or sixty. We're talking here. It's it's substantially larger. Okay. Well, th- I mean, that okay. Makes well, that's
2: changed. It used to be the murder capital of Canada. Now it's it's uh, it's different. It's apparently that's Regina,
1: so. <laughs> Thanks, Angela, for this hard hitting true crime <laughs> just to stat. Br-
0: just to bring the, Just to turn my podcast into a true, p- true crime podcast for a moment.
1: Yeah. Um, the sun did it, by the way. <laughs> Montreal and
2: Calgary were in the middle with uh, 33 murders. Not too bad. We, we do
1: well. What do you mean you do well in murders? That's so friggin' weird to say.
0: It's not no, I mean, that's da-
2: there's do, not that do, many. Do. I'm saying it's oh, good. I
1: see. I see. You're looking at it the other way, like the positive kind of, oh, we haven't gunned each other down kind of way. Yeah, we had a total of six hundred and eleven homicides across Canada in twenty sixteen.
0: Not oh, bad. I mean, we've, on we've, a population um, of
1: like thirty mil plus. Yeah, that's not
2: too bad at all. No, we're, yeah, we're one point six eight per one hundred thousand people. Wow,
0: we're outdoing you by a lot. Sadly, it's. Uh,
2: well, I think you have more murders in the U.S. in a day than you, we have in Canada yeah, here. Yeah,
0: probably. That's that's. that's well, I sure. know that's a bit
2: harsh, but uh, it's worse. Let's say, but you have more people there, so it's different. Yeah,
0: and yeah, we we do have a lot of people. Mikulak, he he goes to the doctor. He doesn't tell him the UFO story (laughs) because, I mean, uh, he's really selective about who he's telling. So he was only given, like, a a sedative and this, like, kind of antibacterial stuff to, you know, wash the burns and stuff like that. And they just sent him home to bed. Weird. Just, I I mean, like, that doctor's not very thorough. I just. (laughs) no.
2: He's got weird uh, scorch marks on his stomach, and it's like, eh, all right, you'll be fine. I mean,
0: how do you think that...
2: And he smelled bad, too. That was really weird. I
0: think the smell was really the next day is when it started to really take hold. Oh, okay, okay. But what did this doctor honestly think? Like, you have all these weird symptoms, and you've got these weird burn marks, and you've got a rash. Like, <laughs> you're not very only thorough. times to me. Fun, smells like I fun did, times to me. It's like,
2: eh, you were a little drunk. Yeah, you fell in a vat of sulfur or something, and uh just go home because that's that. Sleep it off.
0: That's just extremely common. You know, people are just falling in vats of sulfur all the time. It's a, it's a, well in Canada it is. How dare you? Is uh, is sale it's are that, fine people? It, I I assumed it was an epidemic, but uh, I wasn't sure. <laughs>
1: sulfur bathing. He sulfur flap.
0: Yeah, these the sulfur flap of the mid '60s. <laughs> <laughs> but,
2: yeah, we switched think, to right, maple like, syrup the, now. The
1: doctor's just really horrible at his job, but I, I don't know what story he told the doctor either. Right? Like he obviously didn't tell him the UFO narrative.
0: No, he didn't. And I tend to wonder what he ended up telling him because it's yeah, it's that's
2: lost of time, right? like nobody's really known what he said to him, how that conversation went.
0: Right? Nobody, nobody really knows. It's just a little fact that's inserted into you know one paper.
1: Because I feel it's almost like a trailer park boys as kind of like story where he's like, I was trying to drunkenly grill hamburgers and I screwed up. Yeah, and like suddenly, like I have all these weird burn marks and I smell like sulfur and I don't remember what happened.
0: Yeah, yep. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, they lifted the plot from this, you know, and and used it (laughs) in trailer park boys. I really would for thirteen
1: straight seasons.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, sure they don't they don't have UFOs, but they do have Sam Squanch. So
1: it's very true, actually. Yeah. I have never actually watched Trailer Park Boys. You're so un Canadian. It's disgusting. Dude,
0: I've seen it and I'm not Canadian.
1: Sorry. That's Canadian. (laughs) Skeptical dad hasn't watched anything he should watch.
0: Yeah, it's a crying shame. (sighs)
1: Should I watch it with my kids? No. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, you shouldn't. I will save you. It
2: says boys, it's for boys.
0: And the yeah, guy with, with the really funny glasses—he
2: must—he must be yeah, goofy and stuff.
0: Bubbles, he's—he's um,
1: <laughs> he's a wholesome character. He, he really he's, is.
0: He's probably—he's like the heart of that show.
1: <laughs> yeah, but the adults-only heart, not the like. Yeah, let me sing you a song about cats, kind of. Okay. right. Uh, heart. I'm sure people are tuning in to listen to us talk about Trailer Park Boys, though. <laughs> yeah. Right. So Michaela goes to the hospital. This doctor's like, "Oh, get out of my face! Here's a bunch of sedatives. Go to bed." And then what happens, Rob?
0: Next morning, he uh, he wakes up, and he's in a lot of, uh, he's, he's still in pain, but there's also a bad body odor, and it's just radiating off him. There's no escaping it. And, he, uh, and like to add insult to injury, he also has halitosis. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, he ends up losing about six pounds over the course of two days. Uh, he just couldn't keep any food down at that point regardless he didn't he never felt hungry anyway so he was just trying to keep food down so the 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 first doctor that he ends up telling the UFO story to is a guy named uh, RD Oatway and he describes his symptoms as uh, it says quote he complained of band-like headaches hot forehead anorexia and nausea the feeling of blacking out. On examination, he appeared rather depressed, dazed, apathetic, but (laughs) rational and coherent. (laughs) There was a singeing of the hair on his forehead at the hairline and over the lower sternal and upper abdominal region. So yeah, that's, that's consistent right there. The dude got on fire. So yeah, I mean... Yeah, over the upper abdomen in the mid-portion and especially to the left of the midline, there were numerous reddish, slightly irregular, oval-shaped, slightly raised lesions, which, holy mouth garbage right there, uh, (laughs) arranged with their long axes mainly in traverse direction. These lesions seemed to be consistent with first-degree burns. As recall, they were painful and tender, but not severely also observed the burnt, under the shirt which had holes with charred or blackened edges corresponding to the site of the burn so he's pretty well messed up he ain't doing too good so he prescribes him some anti-nausea tablets and some codeine and yeah it's more that uh, antibacterial skin cleanser and you know sends him home so they're describing all this stuff but it's just like why aren't they just like quarantining this guy or something. (laughs) Well, I mean,
1: because a lot of what you described is, like, radiation poisoning, right? I mean, apart from, like, uh, I guess he is tired and depressed, right? So there's that. Mm -hmm. There's the nausea, and maybe he's been vomiting because he can't keep anything down. Uh, I'm not sure about his uh, bowels, but there could be uh, unfortunate instances there. So it seems like it's like kind of like checking off the boxes for, like, radiation exposure.
0: Yeah, and it's just not my problem. Eh, just give him this. Send him yeah, on the way. <laughs> look, uh,
2: uh, well, he went home. He got a bit better, and then he did go see a radiologist. Yes,
0: uh, that is. Yes, that is true. And they did not find any uh, evidence of radiological trauma. And this was on May 23rd. And then he was taken to, uh, it was the nuclear research establishment for further testing and nothing was found. The only major thing of note was that his lymphocyte count was really low. But it just gradually got back to normal over time. The bouts of uh, vomiting got better over time. His appetite returned. But they'd never found any evidence of direct exposure to radiation. At least that's what they said. But it's like, well, if it's not radiation, then what the hell is it? I'm I'm kind of at a loss for words with that.
2: Yeah, that's the weird thing because, uh, like Brian was saying, so many of those thim- symptoms check the boxes for radiation poisoning. Um, but he wasn't there. And, and those weird markings on his torso would disappear and come back. Yeah. Which
1: is extraordinarily odd, right? I don't have either of you like burned yourselves accidentally.
0: Yes, yeah, uh, I guess quite uh, a few times. I'm, I'm. Yeah, sometimes happens. I'm just extremely clumsy
1: <laughs> while uh, drunkenly operating a grill.
0: No, I don't drunken. I don't have a grill, which is the saddest thing about my existence. Uh, at least <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> thanks for uh, thanks for opening that wound. <laughs>
1: Uh, sorry, Rob. Uh, I apologize very profusely to you in my very Canadian kind of way, so <laughs> <laughs> but the point I wanted to make is that like when you burn yourself, like it heals in time, it doesn't start reappearing and disappearing over and over,
0: right. When you burn yourself, you're either gonna have permanent scarring or you're not then like
1: yeah, it's like a one and done,
0: yeah, is that different for like radiation burns like i I would tend to think not
1: no i think once you get hit you sort of live with
0: it yeah you're, you're there like you're the kind of guy that like you have to live the rest of your life knowing that you have what looks like a calculator on your abdomen <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's a hot take though
1: um, if one were to suggest that this were all a hoax then in that case micelac would have to continually burn himself over and over again
0: Right, and, he's really
1: dedicated to the hoax at that
0: point. Um, and you know, there may have been some people that were dedicated to this uh, as a hoax, if, uh, as we'll get to, into uh, a bit later with the uh, investigation and what they ended up finding. Um, oh, yes, the
1: continuation of the dickery.
0: Yes, it's so much dickery is happening in this. In September of that year. He ends up having like this episode where he becomes uh, very ill and he feels this burning sensation in his chest and his neck, and his throat becomes constricted and he gets very flushed and they examined him and and you know they just determined that he had some sort of allergic reaction. but that's a pretty intense allergic reaction, especially if you're doing this at work, you've never had an allergic reaction before, especially one that violent. Do yeah, UFO farts later, make you allergic to stuff? I don't know. Yeah.
2: It's, it's four months later. I mean, it could have been some sort of right. uh, coincidence that it was an, an allergic reaction, because the symptoms seem very different. Right. He's having, like, this burning sensation. His throat is getting constricted. Apparently, his hands swelled up like balloons, which mm. is crazy. Uh, I'm, I'm having a fun picture of somebody uh, having, like, clown hands, and um, he did get dizzy and fainted. So... It could have been totally something separate, like he had some weird reaction. But who knows? And uh, what did he decide to do after this?
0: Keep on keeping on, man, because that's just what you do when, when you get, have them UFO encounters, dude. Uh, eventually, uh, next year, um, in August of 68, they send him down to the, uh, the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota in an attempt to figure out what the hell is wrong with him. And the thing is, it's like his insurance wouldn't cover it because it was out of country. So he ended up paying for all of this himself. And he goes down there for about two weeks, comes back, and he doesn't hear from the Mayo Clinic again until he gets frustrated because, like, I would be too because you have all these health problems. You went down there to get an answer. You're paying for it out of pocket. Well, damn it, I want to know what's going on. So at this point... John Keel and Berthold Schwartz, they kind of come to his aid in helping him draft a letter to send to the Mayo Clinic. They do get a response back in uh, finally in April of 1969, and it says, quote, I have checked through our registration desk and find that we have never had a patient by that name registered at the Mayo Clinic. If he had been a patient, I suspect I would not have been able to send you information without a release from him. state laws being what they are, but I can tell you we don't know anything about him so oh boy yeah we get we get to a dead end, and at least for the for a moment. so Berthold Schwartz, what he then does is he helps him to fill out a medical records release form he He does get a response back. What they found was that he was in generally good health, with the exception of uh, neurodermatitis and syncope, and they think that maybe the fact that he did have syncope might have contributed to that incident at work, because he did have heart problems even before he came into contact with the UFO, so it's kind of interesting.
1: And also, something to note is that it like he only got his results back in 1970, right? Like, so mm-hmm. he spent two years and changed, sort of like in this weird limbo after he had spent all of this money out of his own pocket in order to find out what was wrong with him. He literally sits for two years uh, waiting for results.
0: Yeah, yeah. Great going, Mayo Clinic. <laughs> what a bunch of amateurs! Goddamn amateur hour, man. But uh, yeah, he doesn't I really get...
2: find the the, the lesion stuff really interesting. How it's coming back and going and coming back and going. It's it's really fascinating that these things kept almost like on a strange cycle. Yeah, they kept coming back and forth.
0: Yeah, and nobody has an answer for them. Not one. They. This is something that I. I they probably have never seen before, or if they have, they're being pretty hush hush about it. It's
1: like stigmata, but on his stomach.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So much.
1: given that, though, I mean, a lot of people who. Uh, tend to err on the idea that uh, the government was in the know, tend to point to this incident sort of like the crux that there's a cover-up happening.
0: There was um, one investigator, and in, I can't remember his name for the life of me at this at this point, but uh, he was on some Canadian program of some kind, and he was just basically going on about how the Mayo Clinic stuff it was evidence of a cover-up but no we don't we don't really have enough strong evidence at that point to say that it's a cover-up it's like yeah it's kind of weird like why wouldn't you tell them about that
1: right and i also think like given the time frame like we don't ha- they didn't have computerized systems it was all filing cabinets right so the idea that yeah there was a clerical error is very very high in that case
0: yeah and that seems to be a problem when it comes to finding files especially when you talk about foia requests and uh, i'm sure the, it's a bureaucratic nightmare to try and track down that stuff all the time. It would make sense that you know it might have just got you know mixed up in the shop
1: that is definitely something that I believe I don't think it's it's maliciousness much as uh, you know a bureaucracy in action
0: I mean at least now we have computers so conceivably nothing can get lost but then again it, it, I'm sure the bureaucracy still lives on in some way or another well i
1: mean there's always like mistyping your own name i've seen that happen yep. numerous times yep. so i mean even then it's not a, it's it's an imperfect system
0: yeah yeah there's no control it's
1: all within the the realm of possibility that
2: yeah s- there was a mistake made
0: that's pretty much that side of the story but on the investigation side of it mickleck returns to the scene of the encounter uh, on June 30th of 67, he returns with a guy named Gary Hart of the Royal Canadian Air Force. And they find this ring of debris that they believed was made by the ship. And they also find uh Mikalak's shirt, uh, part of his shirt that was left out there and his tape measure. They start getting whatever they can. And then on July 2nd of that year, A bunch of people go out there, RCMP, RCAF, there's even Canadian APRO officials out there, and they're just gathering all sorts of stuff, testing radiation levels. I guess uh, there was a high enough reading that they thought they were going to have to close down the area, quarantine it, keep people out of it, but uh, eventually the National Health and Welfare Department... Went out there, did their own investigation, and pretty much noted that they wouldn't need to quarantine it. Radiations were slightly higher than background, but they didn't really pose a health hazard. One thing that they did note was that under UV light, the samples that Hart and Mikulak had gathered on June 30th, they appeared to be painted with this luminous paint, or at least that's the way they described it. One of the possible explanations for that was that where they took these samples initially was to Hart's house. He apparently dabbled in photography, so it's a chance that maybe this was, like, uh, exposure to whatever chemicals he was using. But
1: all that to say that the area itself, though, did have uh, an elevated reading, I mean, compared to, like, uh, you know, a normal soil sample, right? Or a normal sort of, like, sampling of, like, the rocks of the area,
0: yeah yeah
2: which... but did, so there was something find there. yeah, there was something there wasn't that mentioned in the, the Unsolved Mysteries video where they did find like a a stream of something, not a stream like um, a band of of radioactive rocks underneath.
0: Yeah, something to that effect. It was
2: something naturally occurring. It had nothing to do with the actual UFO sighting unless the UFO sighting created the radioactive rocks, but I don't think so.
0: yeah. The one piece of evidence that many believe was part of a hoax... On May 19th, 1968, Mikulak returns to the landing site. I tend to wonder how many times he went back out there. And he's out there with a friend and they end up finding this metal fragment underneath some lichen around the area where the object had landed. And it turns out to be like some, it's like a chunk, a tiny chunk of metal, but it's largely composed of silver with traces of copper, cadmium, and like uh, sterling silver. The other odd thing about it, it was coated with a very fine layer of quartz sand, which they said was similar to what they would find in a foundry. So that that, that was kind of interesting. But what people believe about that is that they believe it was planted after the fact. Uh, many of them did. It's a problematic piece of evidence, I would say. Well,
1: because it introduces this idea, right? This like This raised suspicion that only... Uh, mick lack and his friends have access to these materials like uh, two and a half three years later almost that like wasn't there before that uh, you know the area had already been combed so what is this new evidence right it's funny
2: how these really good cases sometimes get undone by the weird stuff that the people they happen to end up doing to almost like bolster their case like if they just leave well enough alone they might have Something decent to show people without any sort of tampering, but it almost seems like they kind of wanted it to be bigger than it actually was, so they went in and did stuff,
0: yeah, yeah. this is already a pretty damn good case. Did you think like putting a chunk of metal there was going to make it like any more of a home run than it needed to be like <laughs>
1: like that's such a good point i just i I do feel like and you know and i think we're gonna get into this later but like make also um claims that he didn't do this for the fame yet his actions afterwards kind of suggested that he was longing for that sort of interested kind of like uh fame to ascend to i guess
0: yeah like um and he never got it Well, he got to be an unsolved mysteries that's better than most of i us. mean that's that's if that's you know if that's a definition of fame then uh, yeah absolutely um
2: and look, he's getting talked about on a podcast. He, he is fifty f- years later.
0: He is uh, rest his soul. <laughs> getting to the uh, number of conclusions that people have come to about this case, and oh boy, uh, there are some uh, yeah, some interesting uh, interesting conclusions. I think one of the most shocking is it comes from you know the Condon Committee towards the tail end of Project Blue Book, you have the Condon Committee coming on to do an assessment to try and figure out whether UFOs were worthy of studying uh, still. They basically came to the conclusion that, quote, if uh, Mikalak's UFO encounter were physically real, it would show the existence of alien flying vehicles in our environment. (laughs) that is an interesting statement coming from a group of people that did not believe in the reality of UFOs
1: it's it's definitely it definitely is like a telling kind of statement I think you're right with that I mean uh, I mean they do throughout the kind of like the intro like if and Canner were physically real I like the idea that they're discrediting it based on uh, him imagining this and him doing these things to himself rather than outright dismissing it which I think is an interesting tactic
0: yeah yeah, that's, uh, I, it's like interesting if true. I would agree with that one hundred percent because it's just like, it, and it's so odd the way that they just throw that in there. Because when you read the when you read in the uh, if if you if you're so bold like I was to get my hands on a copy of the Condon Committee's report, it's just so odd that they would even mention that in the book. They have a pseudonym for Micallef; they call him Mister A. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's so inventive why well, that's such an odd odd way of just referring to him at least mr m yeah, yeah. i'm real descriptive there cowboy yeah um the, hey yankee boy yeah. i'm not mr M. yeah yankee
0: boy's doing uh <laughs> doing that crack up work you know so
1: <laughs> but yeah you're you're kind of right in like it's very singular like usually it's very easy for the content committee to just come right out and say like no And in this instance, they're like, well, you know, if this were real, as if we lived in a hyperdimension.
0: It's a very polarizing statement. I mean, they devoted about 10 pages in the paperback copy of of it that I have to that case. Some of the detractors have pointed to the fact that later Mikulak would end up publishing a 40-page booklet about this incident and people you know saying that he wanted to get paid looking to get that matchbox 20 money as kid rock would say you know back in 1998 (laughs) and uh he didn't end up making any money off of it with the print run and how much he sold he actually probably operated at a loss and he was kind of upset and would say things to the effect of well you know um other people made money off of it more money off of it than i did there's that element. I don't think it's anything strong for the skeptics to hold on to, to say, oh, well, he tried to profit off of his story. Like, Well, I mean,
1: his first edition was in Polish. It wasn't even in English, yeah. right? So yeah. the whole idea of him trying to make money off of it would be it's very counterintuitive when you consider like the the path that he took down like he did release an english version of it subsequently but that was another small print run and that he didn't see much money from after the costs right so the idea that he was trying to build this like <laughs> like media empire out of himself is kind of um shot to hell when you really consider the numbers involved
0: i agree 100 percent, and i i feel like at a certain point the the skeptics Hold on to whatever they can to try to make themselves valid, their point valid. So ch- yeah, totally. Chalk that one up to yeah.
2: But it's like he had a um, he had this idea in his head for a, a comic book, and he figured, oh, maybe I'll I'll make it seem like it was a real event and see if that sells some of my funny little forty page booklet. But I
1: don't think yeah. That's but then what like, he would have to like not go through all these physical transformations well, in order yeah, to like exactly. satisfy that's, that's his comic thing. book desires. That's the thing. Because if you look at it on its own, let's
2: say he said he saw a UFO and then he publishes a 40 page booklet, nothing else. Then, yeah, of course, that's super suspicious. But you, you, would he make himself stink of sulfur? Would he make himself puke all over the place? Would he make himself. He somehow gained gang- halitosis yeah. Yeah, by know, licking things like, like the think... UFO? Yeah, exactly. So I don't think. This, in and of itself, is any proof that it's a hoax. I mean, look, it's definitely possible that this whole thing is an elaborate hoax, but just this isn't a huge red flag.
0: No. No, and, like, that, that just, yeah, it just goes on to to show that, to me when you rule out the obvious stuff that seems to me to be one of the obvious things that you should rule out and yeah, i for sure I, and i've never found that strong narrative of well they profited off their story so that means that they must be pathological liars or whatever I, well i
1: think angela and i talked about that we did an episode on double density of the delphos ring and they had won some kind of was it like the national something? or something and they had yeah, some yeah kind the of national Enquirer. And to me, that doesn't, as you were saying, like, it doesn't point to an admission of guilt or fabrication at all. It's just the idea that you went through something unfortunate, and if you can make some good come out of it, then please do.
0: Yeah. And it falls into the similar veins of people getting drunk uh, means that they hallucinate. <laughs> when, well, we'll
1: talk about getting drunk in a moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We, w- we, we will, but it's like, since when do drunk people hallucinate. I've been tickled pink a few times quite a few times and I've never hallucinated anything so and even the certain types of alcohol that are illegal now that uh, and specifically absinthe I don't think it made you hallucinate like they said it did but you know it's, I thought
1: you weren't going to say Absinthe, but like Jengum instead. Yeah, well, and I was kind of interested in seeing where that went.
0: <laughs> I, I, I thought about it and then I was like, no, I, I, I don't. <laughs> you're taking I don't...
1: the mature, classy route.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 Trying to, at least.
1: The gentleman drinker in all of us.
0: Uh, yeah. So, uh, Brian, why don't you talk about the the next one that uh, Chris uh, Rakowski brings up in his book, The Big Book of UFOs. <laughs>
1: Right. So in doing some research, I actually, uh, had the chance to read cause Rakowski not only did the, the NICAP. um, a debriefing, But he also kind of like has a whole book about sort of a lot of international experiences, but mainly focuses on the Canadian ones, including the Falcon Lake incident. Um, so he claims that a physics professor at an unnamed post-secondary institution, which I think is kind of weird and shady when you don't name your sources in this instance, but yeah. like whatever. Mm-hmm. And he was suggesting that perhaps that Miklach was, quote, experimenting with toy rockets, which exploded due to mishandling. Yeah. Like, how, like, the dude went to the forest to play with rockets, like, he left his family and told them he was going, like, gold panning, when really he just, he wanted to fire off some firecrackers. I just, I don't see it, you know? No. Well, again, just Again, it home. goes
2: back to the point. There was no internet back then. He had to entertain himself somehow.
1: Like, the whole idea that he took a bus just to go play with toy rockets is very weird to me. It is. It's very strange. Yeah. Um,
0: it, <laughs> so the- it makes no sense.
1: No. Well, the same prof also suggested that Mikalek was trying to hit two chunks of uranium together to make a homemade bomb. What? <laughs> <laughs> and that the grill marks appeared because he was using a grill as a support. Rokowski goes on to state that this, quote, totally unfounded theory ignores most of the known facts about this case, and I do agree. <laughs> the idea that this dude is, like, knocking uranium around while standing near a barbecue and hoping that, like, he, like create something crazy is so strange. It kind of goes against the, the idea of the character of Mikalak that we have created um, based on how he acts and how he's been. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's just, I, I, I tend to wonder where people draw their theories from, like, because yeah, it's all speculation at this point. Like, cause you're talking about a UFO, but like there's, if you have no evidence of this, how could you, how could you even suggest it? Just
1: Because he, he's suggesting that a dude is standing on a barbecue, knocking two pieces of uranium together to make a homemade bomb. Like, how does that even comp- like compute in like a, a mature way? Like, this man is old enough to know what uranium does. Like, I wouldn't mess with it. You wouldn't mess with it. Angelo's kid might, because he's four years old. But, like, <laughs> any grown adult knows not to, you know, play with these things on top of a barbecue.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just... Uh, I hate... Are you, oh my god wait
1: wait wait! but the thing is is
2: where do you get even get uranium did you did did, have you not watched uh back to the future how hard it is to get uranium uh
0: you know yeah. it's 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 rather difficult if you go into the future um you know at least that uh, you know at least they have the mr fusion so you could just throw some trash in and recycle <laughs> and you get some fuel. and if you're in the 50s yeah
2: if you're in the 50s, you you'd think that in 1985 you could just walk into any corner store and
1: buy uranium, yeah. but you can't pick it up in the 50s. Yeah. yeah, that's real shame there. Yeah, that you can't just stand on top of your barbecue on a Friday night, and knock things around.
0: Yeah, he was just having a good old time. Um, he, this is this <laughs> is, is what he is this so is good. what he leaves his family for. You know, uh, maybe it if they had bus. suggested that he was involved in some like subversive activities or something like that, but it's just. That's all they suggested. It's it's not like they said, oh well, we we think he was connected to spy activity or something like that. Well, or terrorist activities or or something like that. Like, I would buy it a little easier if you if they had said that, but they didn't.
1: Because in my mind, the kind of image that is conjured up by this professor is a dude wearing one of those like adult propeller beanie hats, <laughs> yeah, you know, just standing around like playing with rocks, hoping that they light on fire. <laughs> whatever i'm just that is such a stupid thing to say i don't even know why rakowski noted i guess he must have noted because of its ridiculousness because it's clearly like of all the things we've talked about tonight this is definitely like one of the least probable
0: yeah um but by far by by far and we're gonna we're gonna get into a, a another one here one of the skeptics uh well two of them uh Donald Menzel, um, who, if you if you want to believe, was a member of MJ-12, and Ernest Tavs, they said, quote, First, the project investigator and the prospector together were unable to locate the area of the happening, which they did, they, they had trouble at first, but they did end up finding it. Second, the illness appeared to have been caused by nothing more than exotic insect bites. Like, what? <laughs> exotic yeah, insect that makes bites? makes no sense. And third, the project's attempts to establish the reality event revealed many inconsistencies and incongruities. Therefore, we regard this case as a badly executed hoax. And in my notes, I wrote bullshit, but I mean... <laughs> yeah. like, in bold. Yeah, it's, it's bold, but it's just like exotic insect bites? Insect bites. No, that... That
2: I find the next one that you have on your list actually makes way more sense than that one. Yeah, like this one I could actually buy. As if, like, if if you had to ask me as a skeptic what I think happened, and if it, if you say like it's not aliens, I would say this one makes the most sense. Paul Biskey of the Royal Canadian Air Force, he thought Micallef got drunk and fell on a grill. You know what? Simple, honest, possible. That makes way more sense than the
1: banging two rocks together to create nuclear fusion. <laughs> but you and, forgot the standing on top of the barbecue.
2: Yeah, that, makes, that one makes no sense. But this one, you know what? Eh, he was hanging out in the woods by himself looking for some
1: cool rocks and he decided to get hammered and grill some barbecue and uh, he got burned. Yeah. I but I I do think that like, and I think Rob, you'll agree with me on this one, the way that like uh, Biskey kind of describes... Uh, mickalack's like propensity for drinking seems very odd in that he tries to make him out to be an alcoholic when he really doesn't seem to be
0: right and he points to this bartender in town that the night before mickalack ends up going out to and and having the encounter that he was just drinking like crazy and he must have been an alcoholic but like there there is no evidence of that It's just. And I mean, drinking
1: like crazy, I think, was like five or six beers, right? Like, it wasn't yeah. like I. He ordered like a 2 4 or anything. Right.
0: Yeah, you know, it's. Oh, that's
1: very Canadian.
0: A 2 4? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I, I just think that, like, Bisky's kind of like depiction of. Michalak, uh, both behaviorally as well as like kind of questioning that his like uh the way that he operated like during the encounter and after i think he's like very unfortunate because it kind of amounts to this like weird kind of like character assassination in that he tries he's already dismissed the idea of an encounter and he knows exactly why it's a hoax
0: yeah and that's the usual uh that's that's like a page from the philip class book right there just discredit the person at that point There is one interesting fact that Rakowski notes, and it's that where the landing allegedly happened, there was a ranger tower in full view of the area. And allegedly the direction where Mikulak said that the object uh, left in was in full view of a golf course. However, nobody who was golfing that day came forward to corroborate that sighting now you would imagine that like because i I'm I'm sure like golf courses up in Canada probably like they do down here they shut down their seasonal y- you would presume that in by May 20th of that year they were up and running so yeah that's kind of an, an interesting little tidbit Rakowski, you know states that the maybe the ranger wasn't looking in that direction at the time but the thing is is and and something i haven't even brought up supposedly this object was landed for over a half an hour
2: yeah and the ranger definitely would not be doing his job if he had not been looking there
0: maybe he was the one that was getting drunk you know
1: oh, uh, maybe. or the enemy of the ufo bureaucracy yeah, cuz he's too busy filling out paperwork
0: yeah he's too busy no selling those ufos man <laughs> <laughs>
1: or, or maybe he was the RCMP officer that drove off.
0: Maybe. Oh man, we, well, we've got. Yeah, that's
1: why we've got. Those are his other duties. We've got conspiracies yeah,
0: yeah. Um, all over the place now.
1: I mean, I, the fact that there was like a you know a, a ranger tower doesn't necessarily uh, convince me at all that this was a hoax because for a number of reasons, like you know, a lot of these craft are silent in nature. You don't really hear them. You know, if you're not necessarily looking in that direction. Um, you may not have noticed it, but, you know, it probably, you know, was it someone who had fallen asleep at the Switch, for example?
0: Huh. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it's very true, you know? Because
1: nothing ever happens around there, historically.
0: Right. This is an isolated incident, so... So, at the end, what what do you guys think happened? Do you think... I think I know where Angela's going to go with this yeah, one. Yeah, but- d- Like, do you think that what happened to Mikulak a- actually happened to him, or... What are your theories? Uh,
1: well,
2: <laughs> I I don't know what to think about this case. Uh, the fact that the Canadian government wants to, like, honor it with its own coin is kind of interesting, that they think something interesting did happen at that point. The funny thing is, is that I don't think he ever said that he thought it was, like, aliens. He always kind of maintained that it was terrestrial in nature in terms of a weird actual um, government secret aircraft of some kind. That I could buy, maybe, that that's what happened. Although that's really crummy of whoever was flying that uh, thing to just kind of burn this poor guy and leave him to, to like, burn after taking off in your funny UFO, uh, making your pancakes and leaving him there.
0: And just farting all over this guy, yeah. this poor guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I,
2: I Like, okay, so in terms of if it was... Uh, an embarrassing situation that he tried to, like, pass off with aliens, uh, I I would veer towards the, the falling down on the grill thing, uh, being drunk. Uh, but I don't know. I think he probably saw something, but I don't think it was aliens. It was probably, if it was any actual physical aircraft, it was probably something military, and he misremembers what he saw because he was so... Uh, disoriented after what happened to him um but again the physical evidence with the doctors and there's it's it's medically noted that he had these weird lesions that kept popping up from time to time those could have been some sort of weird allergic reaction he got from being there who knows uh, it's it's a it's an interesting case i don't think it was aliens but something did happen to
1: this poor guy There is something to note, though, I think contextually too, right? So 1967 in October, um, the infamous Shag Harbor incident happened, right? Like not much more than a couple of months later, where, you know, the same sort of craft was sort of um, seen crashing into the water, right? Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Oh yeah,
0: yes. and not to mention sixty six and sixty seven. You have a lot of UFO activity going on. You are in the midst of the Mothman stuff happening in Point Pleasant and and around that area. Not to mention you go pretty much all over the U.S. and people are seeing UFOs left and right. This is definitely part of a like really intense UFO flap. So, you know that that is interesting to note people are seeing ufos left and right
1: right and something to note and something we were talking about um that i couldn't find any exact statistics on but a lot of the famous ufo cases happen during the day
0: yeah Um, you know
1: there's this your favorite uh lonnie Zamora. yep Um, You know, and there's all these other things like the Kenneth Arnold one that happened during the middle of the day. Like, you know, that classic trope of like a UFO at night um, is sort of like dispelled here a little bit when you can start to consider the volume of well-regarded, well-documented incidents that happen um, during the day, more or less.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing, too, is like when the UFO... boom happened in 47 and you look at most of the reports that Ted Blecker was looking at and compiling in 1967 you note that most of them are either in the middle of the day or towards the end of the day which is very strange because uh, yeah now today what you have is mostly these lights being reported at night orbs or sometimes it can be seen in in, in certain formations so that has always been one fascinating aspect is are the, the the famous cases always happen during the day? Is it just because, you know, an object is seen and described? I, I would say, you know, that definitely has a part to play in it, for sure.
2: And and they used to come out in the day before we figured out the, the iPhone technology that they left us in Roswell. Oh, yeah. And now that we've figured it out, uh, they don't want us to capture them with their fancy phones that
0: they left us. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> blurry photos left and right, man
1: for what it's worth I it's hard for me to call this a hoax because like it's such a continual like hoax that it it kind of defies a lot of like what I believe a classic hoax to be and that like you know, this witness is more or less credible. He has a good history. He comes from a great background. He thought it was an American prior the entire time, pretty much during the encounter. He has all these like weird physical issues that aren't easily explained and the grill marks keep reappearing and disappearing. So like I was saying before, like if this dude is really committed and is like burning himself continually, that's one thing. But, you know, uh, he he has like dramatic weight loss and, you know, halitosis and all these like different kinds of things that would suggest some kind of of poisoning, not necessarily radiation, but definitely something uh, foreign entered his body for a little bit of time.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that uh, wholeheartedly. And he's a pretty unimpeachable guy regardless. And I would put him in, like, in terms of, like, civilian witnesses in the Kenneth Arnold camp, the kind of guy that would, like, try to do his best to explain what was happening to him at the time. I also think this is, like, a stronger case for you know something you know very strange occurring um
1: well i mean the fact that he took the time to sketch out this craft during his encounter i think speaks volumes to where his mind was at
0: yeah and i mean like it's he had plenty of time with it so (laughs) yeah yeah
1: i mean on the other hand though like the fact that he goes back in 1970 and finds all these like Minerals and materials that weren't there previously, I think, is kind of problematic. And I do think that, like, what Angela was saying before about maybe, you know, this being placed um, in order to sort of like continue interest in his case, I guess would be the best way of putting it, um, seems a little problematic in that he maybe is trying to overdo it and sort of uh, reclaim his space in ufology.
0: Yeah, that's a great point.
1: So, what about you, Rob? What do you think?
0: Um, I definitely think that i trust his observations Uh, the only odd thing that to me aside from the fact that no canadian wanted to be helpful to this man for, (laughs) for long periods of time is that uh he was reticent to actually take them back out there um when uh they wanted to investigate this because he didn't want anybody uh essentially grabbing his claim so you know i found that kind of interesting not in the sense that i think he he was trying to hide anything but just like here's a guy who passionate about uh his amateur hobbies and wanting to protect that so i think unimpeachable guy has really strange uh, medical anomalies takes the time to sketch out a ufo that just lands there and and like has plenty of time to to do that I think something did strange did happen to him i don't the in terms of the nature of the craft I have no idea i i really don't because in those situations we never have enough information to go off of it's just right hey I, I looked inside and this is what I saw and it's like well if what you saw is what you saw nobody understands what that is so we're We're yeah. left wondering, well, this is technology that at least in terms of the average person is not does not fall in the range of like their knowing or you know or just in the general public uh, uh, they don't know, so and they've never seen it so I think this is probably one of the top five most compelling ufo cases on record uh, around the world oh
2: wow that's uh high
0: praise yeah it's uh it's a it's a really good case and 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 a lot of that has to come down to the fact that it's still being investigated today so yeah for sure it's clearly a strong enough case that the people can still try to look for new things uh, 50 years later
1: and I think something interesting that we had talked about in a prior episode, I don't remember if it's the UFO book club or not, but it's the idea of like, you investigate the incident, not the person. Yes. And I feel like the RCMP, especially Bisky and company really, really investigated the person instead of looking at the facts at hand in order to make it like a, a rather clear assessment of what had occurred. Right. So all these like medical records have been created, all of this, you know, radiation that's kind of being emitted. And I don't know if we mentioned this, but there was like, there were traces of radiation coming from his clothing, um, post encounter, right? Yeah. And so it's this idea that, like, instead of, like, looking at the person and, and judging them and saying, you know, based on the character, you know, yes or no, it's it's really, like, taking it all in as, like, one whole kind of, like, um, compelling case, both person as well as all of the evidence at hand.
0: Yeah, and, and and to me, like, it's just a really good case given... There is no way that you can look at this case and everything, and every like bit of the incident it, it, it's just it's really good so it's
1: so good in fact that the canadian government decided to capitalize uh upon uh this incident uh more than 50 years later and create uh a commemorative coin based on the incident
0: yeah so like like how often does the canadian mint do stuff like this
1: UFOs, not really much, but they'll tend to do stuff. Like, they've done Star Trek uh, last year. They've done DC. Like, they'll license stuff, and they'll do them. But really, it's it's licensed properties. It's not, like, licensed, like, life stories. So I think this is the first... Like officially sanctioned like UFO coin of its kind, but they also did a commemorative uh, memfrey uh, quarter, I think, in twenty ten or twenty eleven. So it's not like unheard of, and they kind of have a sense of humor at the mint. But this is definitely the first time that they've uh, they've done a UFO incident.
2: Uh, yeah, we've done it with stamps too. Canada posted a few uh, haunted Canada series stamps. Oh, that's cool.
0: Well, we don't do cool stuff like that here. <laughs> no, we're, we're quirky.
1: Yeah, you, you got a ton of Elvis stamps though, so I like I applaud you for that.
0: Um, you know, we have to salute our king, so... Uh.
1: <laughs> yeah, so the crazy thing is that there are 4,000 of these, like, pure silver. Also, the selling point is that they're glow-in-the-dark, mm-hmm. um, and they retailed for 130 Canadian, which is about 100 bucks American, uh, with a $20 value. And they're kind of, sh- they're ovoid-shaped, so they're kind of shaped like guitar picks.
0: Yes, which I found kind of interesting. It's like, why not shape it like a saucer, then? <laughs> dude that would be such a good idea
1: they they really missed the mark on that i think in that like they should have really thought about what it looked like and then considered it because it's totally doable i mean at that point you're paying a hundred bucks for twenty dollar coin you can manufacture plates that like fix it properly to make it look like a saucer brian yeah. a, a round coin come on you know what angelo i'll see you and your toonies outside okay buddy <laughs> yeah I just think it'd be hilarious to go to the
2: grocery store and buy something with a $20 coin that has a UFO on that you paid $130 for.
1: <laughs> that's called insanity. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's called ad- operating at a loss. Yeah, for
2: sure. And and like like McLach's books. Uh,
0: yeah. Yes. <laughs> um it's, it's sadly those those books um and and it should be noted that they have sold out of these coins uh, at this point. So
1: yeah, know. all four thousand of them are officially gone. That's crazy. Yeah. That uh, that that's some good money for the government. It you is? know, the mint's thinking up new ways to like do Shag Harbor next year for sure. Yeah, they're gonna make a mint on this.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, great dad joke. You need to rim shot I appreciate there, that. Uh, I yeah. uh, well, you know, you gotta get them in. So. <laughs> <laughs> I try. So. Um, The question that uh, I I think is important here is that Canada is essentially, uh, in terms of UFO sightings, they are ranked number two in terms of most amount of UFO sightings reported. However, there are so very few famous sightings that come from Canada. Why do you guys think that is?
1: That's a really good question. So, Angela, off the top of your head, we got this. We got Shag Harbor. We got the... The Plaza Bonaventure Hotel from 1990. Um, What other kind of iconic ones are there? I can't really think of any more than those Um, three. The only
0: uh, other one that I can think of off the top of my head is uh, Charlie Red Star in the 70s. Oh
1: yes, yes, definitely. That's another one. Um, so that's like four, but the Charlie Restaurant is more of like a a continual kind of thing, right?
0: Yeah, it was uh, I, I, it was around for a couple of years, I believe. It was a, f- a little bit of a flap.
1: Do you think? Do you think Angela that maybe our niceness or perceived niceness, as we've discovered in this episode, and that like Canadians can be real big jerks uh, scares uh, <laughs> UFOs off? I don't know. But, uh, we 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 have to maybe start uh, asking for aliens to come and visit us. Also, t- something not something keep in mind too is that like geographically we might be a gigantic country but something like 90 percent of its population lives below a certain uh per like uh you know meridian miles away
2: from the american border really
1: yeah or something like that yeah so like while we may be like a very uh, large country in terms of like dense population we're not nearly as big um as other people are so per capita i guess we do report a lot of ufos and i know that like in 2016 our province quebec like led the charge with how many uh, reports we like submitted
2: yeah we uh and uh i like we've mentioned on double density many times is that i live in one of the ufo hotspots of uh, quebec near mountain and uh i haven't seen one though i've been here 10 years yeah i don't know
1: rob it's a really good question to ponder now that you've got that in my head i really don't know why we don't see or or maybe people tend to see them and not report them maybe i don't know i don't know
0: yeah and i mean like you tend to wonder how many, yeah, how many reports and sightings are so close to the border. Something that
1: maybe I've, I'm keeping in mind now is the idea of like it's a cultural shift, right? So in the States, you know, especially with all of the flaps in the 40s and then in the 60s, like maybe like Mar- Americans are just more drawn into um, reporting these things. Where in Canada, we didn't really necessarily, apart from like the flap in the mid 60s on the Canada side of things, didn't really go through all that much necessarily, right? So maybe. Maybe it is a perception kind of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know that very that very well could be. It's it's a it's a tough thing to wrap your 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 head around because like for whatever reason, like maybe it, it has more to do with where it all started. But like, and I mean like, it, t- technically this phenomenon didn't really. Start. There are inklings in other countries, like uh, over in Norway, Sweden, and and all those uh, the the, the uh, Scandinavian countries in forty six. Uh, before we even got to um, Kenneth Arnold's sighting, they had the sightings of the ghost rockets, and, and right. It really makes you wonder. It's like, why is America so obsessed with UFOs, and why do
1: I think maybe, like, it's the inverse. It's like, why are UFOs so obsessed with the United States?
0: Yeah, yeah they're very well could I, it,
1: it, it could be seen in that way, too, right? I mean, just the, the number of instances that are reported and the number of, like, very famous sightings that have happened, you know, within your country's borders, I think, suggests that there is an interest otherworldly or whatever kind of there, too, right?
0: Yeah, for for sure. But I would tend to agree with that. It's, yeah, it's just, like, one of those... Like, you would think in terms of sightings... It wouldn't be Canada. It would be Mexico, because yeah, yeah. Mexico even has so many more. But it's just Canada has five really just reliable like big ones. Yeah, yeah. Just and and, and that's so uh, it, it's so strange to 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 think about because uh, maybe that's also dude. Like how many known like ufologists live in Canada?
2: Well, hey, Boy, we it's... have the most famous one, Stanton Friedman lives Does here.
0: he still live in Canada? Yeah, yeah he, lives he lives in, in, the lives in the North Nova Scotia. Scotia. Oh, nice, yeah. nice. Uh, yeah, the the, and you know what? He got his he got his start with American stuff. Well, <laughs> well, he, he is <laughs> American. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Well,
1: here, Rob, here's the theory for you. Ready? I'm tying this all kind of like cultural, like maybe. Canadians are too polite to report these things. They don't want to create a hassle. They don't want to bother the RCMP. They don't want to put themselves out there for something they may or may not have seen and cannot understand. So maybe it is it is a cultural thing in that way, too, and that maybe we're just too polite to report these incidents.
0: And um, don't, don't bother talking to it with an RCMP officer because, you know what? He's got better things to do.
1: <laughs> yeah, other duties. The ones that I know would not listen to this claptrap. <laughs> so, so I do agree in that instance that perhaps talking to an RCMP officer about your alien sighting is not the way to go.
0: It happens, you know. It's just Canada. You need to you need to get your cultural priorities straight. I'm just saying it now. You just you know what? If you see something, say something. And uh, you know,
1: ooh, ooh. <laughs> the airport rule. <laughs> yeah, Angela, open up your hotmail account. Let's email our prime minister and let him know what's up. We uh,
2: we you know in Quebec though we're pretty open to UFOs. We did have a, a UFO cult that like made Quebec its home for a while. So well, we got that.
0: I mean you know it, wherever they need to shelter themselves. I'm glad there <laughs> was some. I'm I'm glad that uh, you, you guys could do that for them. I I do. Uh, it, it's it's much appreciated because you know we can't we can't do it all ourselves. Um, no. We
1: embrace their investment in the local economy. Thank you for that. <laughs> And and Brian has recently put a bid on some of the stuff they've been selling. Right. Especially, like, the treehouse-sized UFO that I'm really hoping will land in my parents' backyard.
0: So, you you kind of want to... Do you want to recreate, like, a Woodworth uh, saucer hoax? um?
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, just a lot shittier. Just (laughs) the worst, like... (laughs) I would literally tie pieces of string to the UFO to make it clear that it's not flying. Like they're just, it would just go on and on.
0: Uh, well, um, the the best piece of advice I can give you at that point is whoever the the really gossipy person is in your in in that neighborhood, put it in their lawn. They will have people there, hundreds of people there by noon uh, the next. Day. I think
1: it's my mother, so I think I'm on the right track.
0: Uh, yeah, so just like you know, put it in your mother's yard
1: perfect i will alert my parents that a uh, craft is incoming then, in that case <laughs> uh,
0: excellent excellent i like this idea yeah it's it's a great idea so um yeah before we uh before we uh get out of here um tell the people again where they can find everything you guys do on the internet and elsewhere
1: Sure, you can find Double Density over on Twitter, double underscore density, facebook.com slash double density podcast, the same thing on Instagram, or you can visit us at double net. see all of our newest episodes, click on the uh, blog to read some of our recent articles, and you can also click on the uh, host tab in order to see what we look like and uh, get afraid of, like, two men in glasses judging you. And then you can also click the contact uh, link in order to hit us up. And if not, you can find me on Twitter at Brian with an I, Hasty, and Angelo at Angelo, A-N-G-E-L-O, Fioren, F-I-O-R-E-N. There we go. <laughs> All one word.
0: <laughs> awesome. Excellent. So uh, thank you guys again for coming on. Uh, this has been a blast. So... Um... Yeah, folks, uh, if you ever needed a reason to uh, give me $5 a month, this episode is it.
1: <laughs> Rob, thank you so much for having us. This was fun. I love talking UFOs, so it's a lot of fun to sort of uh, step up to the plate with you uh, and your vast repertoire of knowledge in these things. Yeah, because when he talks about them with me, I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I just keep wanting to
2: talk about iPhones. <laughs>
0: You do, you do, but th- that's okay, Angelo. We still love you anyway, man.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. So I got uh got you to get one iPhone, so there we go. Yeah.
0: So uh if you if you want to get uh in contact with me, uh you could do so by emailing me, uh our strange at gmail dot com. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Our Strange Skies. Uh, we're available on uh, every platform, but for this episode, it's just on Patreon. So um, if you're listening to this, good job. Good on you. Um, uh, and finally, don't forget to look up. You never know what you'll find in Our Strange Skies. In Gray, we trust.
3: when you adventure lies just around the bend. So if you wanna join me for a while, just grab your hat, come travel like that's hobo style. Maybe tomorrow I wanna settle down. Until tomorrow, the whole world is my home. So if Naveed Media.